Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the political comedy podcast that combats confirmation bias by just insisting that absolutely everything is shit. This is episode 145, I'm Tiernan Duyeb, and this week, as the Brexit Party dominate the UK's European election, I want to know if being elected to a system that you believe is unelected cancels itself out or not. It's the new philosophical question of our time. I mean, if a tree falls in the forest, but swears it wasn't part of that forest in the first place, as actually it's just a collection of elitist branches and their agenda, will too many people hear it thanks to disproportionate coverage and far too many appearances on Question Time? Yes, it's out with the old, in with the various shades of blue that are also mostly old. As last week saw Prime Minister and corrugated iron effigy to the god of inanimate objects, Theresa May, announced that she would be resigning as Conservative leader on June the 7th. But she'll still be Prime Minister, you know, until someone can physically remove her using Loctite and a crowbar as she no doubt tries to barricade herself in and take Larry the Cat as hostage. This long overdue announcement was somewhat subdued by being the 15th time that everyone thought Theresa May was going to resign, with several previous speeches where she just let everyone down by being the political version of someone who rocks up at the end of the wedding speeches and demands to talk despite not being invited by anyone, not having anything to say and mainly stopping guests from enjoying the dessert. By May only finally resigning after so many other things that she should have resigned for by now, it's kind of as rewarding as a serial killer just dying at home of old age, or Cersei getting killed by some bricks that she could have avoided by being three steps to the right. It seems that fourth time is whatever spell it takes to break the charm when it comes to a deal that absolutely no one likes, as when May made her announcement that she'd be wheeling out her much-hated withdrawal agreement yet again, like a horse that's one flogging away from being a glue pile, it caused a resignation in the shape of leader of the House of Commons and mother Andrea Leadsom. Leadsom submitted her letter saying she couldn't fulfil her duty to announce a new bill with new elements she fundamentally opposed, saying that she didn't want to undermine the union. You know, the union that's mainly undermined by the Brexit she wants. Leadsom signed her resignation letter with BEST, which sends a really confusing message, and all of which she did in a green pen, because as a mother she only has her children's stationery available. Still, at least Andrea can legitimately add that job to her CV now, eh? Yes, I'm all about callbacks from 2016. But that was the final blow for Theresa May as she spent the evening hiding in number 10 away from journalists and MPs that wanted to meet with her. Yes, the PM's days were numbered once she restricted her own freedom of movement. 
Standing at the podium outside number 10 on Friday, May said she'd done her best to deliver Brexit. You know, in the way Yodel do their best to deliver your package by not even bothering to ring your doorbell and then slamming your box into a skip on their way home. She quoted Sir Nicholas Winton, a man who saved nearly 700 Jewish children from the Nazis, bringing them to Britain. Something that May would have promised to do, but then only brought in three of them, while the newspapers would say they all looked like they were in their 40s, so we should send them back again. Theresa May's choice quote from a man whose daughter has already said the PM has not lived up to Sir Winton's legacy was that compromise is not a dirty word, life depends on compromise. Which is an odd way of admitting that her unmovable red lines basically killed off her party and possibly the country. May then listed a whole ton of achievements that she hasn't actually achieved, like bringing an end to austerity, which seems to be taking as long to go as she did. She mentioned that her government are building more homes, even though it's still 250,000 homes short of what's needed, and that kind of sums up May's career perfectly, you know, promising to make everyone's dinner, handing out some bowls of peanuts, and then announcing she must have won Come Dine With Me. The Prime Minister said her party were tackling air quality, although after being taken to court several times for having woefully inadequate plans, I guess it could be that May meant tackle air quality in the rugby way by just sort of knocking it to the floor until it's so low that you can eat the atmosphere with a spoon. Grenfell got a mention too, with Theresa May saying that she set up the public inquiry so that the people who lost their lives that night are never forgotten, which is different, of course, to those who survived that night, who may seem to forget just mere days after the fire when she didn't meet with any of them, and even now, two years later, when a lot of them still need rehousing. May closed the speech by saying, This country is a union of people, whatever our background, colour of skin or who we love. And then she started welling up, presumably as she reminded herself of all the people she'd failed to deport because they weren't white. And how, despite her voting efforts, gay marriage is now legal. It was genuinely strange to see Theresa May cry, mainly on account of it being the first time it's happened in public, so no one was sure if it was just a malfunction or not. Everyone rushed to express sympathy for those tears, from former Prime Minister and talking gallbladder David Cameron, who said he felt desperately sorry for her because the mere thought of taking responsibility is one of his worst nightmares. US President and blowtorched howler monkey Donald Trump said he felt badly for Theresa May, though that may be because he knows she still has to meet him before she leaves, which is the worst going away present ever. I mean, her party may as well have baked her a farewell shit and thrown a party everyone was invited to but her. Even Shadow Chancellor and Werther's original advert, John McDonnell, said that he'd have to have a heart of stone not to feel sorry for May, which I'm guessing means she didn't feel sorry for herself. Or wait, is she the exception to the rule? How will May be remembered? Well, probably in the way that you sometimes remember the game, meaning that you've lost the game, and now your whole day is ruined. (laughs) Ha ha, you've now lost the game. But probably also as the Prime Minister who successfully managed to unite a divided country by bringing everyone together to realise quite how shit she is and how much they wanted her to leave. Sadly, those 30 seconds of joy at May's resignation were abruptly slammed down by the realisation that all possible replacements are the political version of Mos Eisley Canteen residents. There's Sofa put together all wrong Boris Johnson, who's the current favourite among members, because there's no one the country needs more to build a bridge between divisions than a man who'd spend far too much money trying to put a garden on it and charge entry so that the whole thing collapses before it begins. Boris says that unless the party delivers Brexit, it'll be fired from the country, yet again giving us more reasons not to have Brexit. I really hope it's via a cannon, which you'd easily get Bojo into if you just said it was a photo op. Challenging Boris for the top spot of the absolute bottom of the earth is Disposable Spoon and Foreign Secretary Jeremy Hunt, who we at least know will spare the country from awkward excuse-filled speeches, but that's only because when he inevitably cocks things up, he'll spend most of his time hiding behind a tree, hoping everyone goes away. Then there's Esther McVeigh, a cross between Amanda Holden and a bear trap, who previously said that benefit sanctions teach job seekers to take work seriously, so it's a wonder that she hasn't repeatedly had her pay cut as a response to her being a massive shithouse in everything she does. 
In an interview with McVeigh on Sky News on Sunday, which sounded a lot like if you'd asked a stupid child what they'd do if they ruled the world for a day, Esther insisted that there can be an invisible border in Ireland, saying that the technology exists. I'm pretty certain that she thinks that only because she can't see one there at the moment, so assumes it's cloaked. Then there's Health Secretary and face drawn on an apple, Matt Hancock, who will likely try to run the country from an app, which you'll then forget to put security on, and hackers will get hold of all the defence details in minutes. And Rory Stewart, who always looks like he's on a roller coaster that's going a bit too fast. Stewart is most notable recently for failing to make prisons less than awful, so I'm not sure he'll have any better convictions than anyone else. Ha, see what I did there? What do you mean it doesn't quite make sense? Like, shush, shush. Oh, and of course, there's Environment Secretary and Billy Ham, Michael Gove, whose leadership material, in the same way that petrol-soaked wood, is fireproof material. Nothing sends a greater message to world leaders that we can work with them than a man who stabs his best pals in the back while his wife writes something awful about their legs. Home Secretary and Ernest Blowhard, Sajid Javid, announced his policy with a new Twitter account cringingly called Team Saj that he encouraged people to join. Look, you can't be leader of a country if the best name you can come up with is the kind that a creatively dead boss of an accounting firm would give a team on a works weekend away that no one wants to be on. There's so many better alternatives than Team Saj. Sajid, how about a Jav Band, Freestyle Jav, my definition of a bombastic Jav thing, the Saj Sacks, the Java Beans, the Sajji Masochists, the Saj Saj Lonely sort of people that come up with names like Team Saj? Or how about the join me and I'll only run away to Australia when something really bad happens crew? Rick Mayle's worst character, Dominic Raab, is also running for leader on the premise that he can get a better Brexit deal than the one he already got and resigned over because he didn't like it before then voting for it. I mean, who better to protect this island than someone who doesn't even know what an island is? And there's more candidates to announce too, each one proving that actually the only thing holding most of us back from being Prime Minister is being overqualified in many, many areas, especially emotionally. With that bunch, it doesn't matter who we get in, we may as well all start jumping up and down at the same time and hope that we can sink the country before anyone else notices what's happened. Yes, Dominic, sink. Yes, there's water over there. Yeah, really, really. There's no chance that any of them will get any better deal with the EU than May did, and the EU are saying as much anyway, so it'll more be a case of whose stupid face we want to see trot out the same old shit again, but somehow worse. Saying that, based on all the candidates, I guess there is a chance that the rest of the world will throw us some trade deals out of sheer pity. By stepping down on Friday, May has sidestepped or danced, having to say too much about just how much of a battering the Conservatives took in the EU elections. And I can't help but feel she probably watched her party sink to fifth place while cackling and putting bits of tuna behind the radiators to ruin things for the next number 10 resident. Yes, fifth place for the governing party, while the Brexit party with their leader, dismembered Neeskin, Nigel Farage, took first place on account of taking all the votes from UKIP, Nigel's first party. It's a lot like the election equivalent of a divorce, where your ex takes all your stuff and the next thing you know, their new partner is driving around in your car and you're drinking in the bar with a bunch of internet Nazis wondering where you went wrong. The Brexit party got 31.6% share of the vote, even getting 746 votes in Gibraltar, which makes absolutely no sense. I mean, that's like voting to set your own house on fire and letting the insurance company know it was you that did it. Their victory means that screaming toadstool Anne Widdicombe is now an MEP for the South West, though I have no idea on the legal implications of sending a carcass to Brussels or Strasbourg. Inspiration for the big head toys, Richard Tice, won a seat in East Anglia because there's no better way to stick it to the elite than by letting a multi-millionaire earn even more money from an institution he supposedly loathes. Brian Monteith, the candidate from the Brexit Party in the North East, and Egg, won his seat despite it being revealed that he lives in France. I mean, if you just don't want to visit the UK, there are easier ways to do it. And of course, Nigel Farage retained his seat in the South East because nothing shows his retaliation against the EU like insisting on continuing to get a fat salary and pension payments from there. 
Days before the election, Farage had had to hide on his campaign bus due to people outside lurking with milkshakes. Yes, the man who said his biggest regret was not being at the D-Day landings, admittedly he never said on which side, yet there he was, still scared of dairy. I'm really sad it didn't amount to anything, as it would have been absolute poetry if his career had ended due to a bus. Labour lost 11.3% of the vote on account of neither being officially anti or pro-Brexit, but sort of both and neither all at once. Turns out sitting on the fence will give you splinters in your voter groups. Shadow Foreign Secretary and head teacher that all the parents like but all the kids think is a dick, Emily Thornbury, said as results were coming in that Labour should have openly supported a second referendum and campaigned to remain in the EU. Labour leader and Brillo pad Jeremy Corbyn said he would listen very carefully to calls for one but then wanged on about his party bringing the country together even though he can barely get through a sentence to each other without someone kicking off. The Lib Dems and Greens did very well, coming in second and fourth place respectively, and overall anti-Brexit votes took 40.4% of the share, which is well over the 34.9% that Brexit-supporting parties took. But none of that vote, or only 3.4% of it, was for Change UK, the other new party in the elections, just the one that no one gave a shit about. Leader and woman who always looks like she's slightly concussed, Heidi Allen, shrugged off the immense losses, saying instead that this is the beginning of something. I'm guessing, Heidi, that that something is a career outside of politics? Hmm? Far-right twat and several times dropped spam, Tommy Robinson, did so badly that he snuck out of the northeast election count early. You could say he left in a flurry, but that would probably give him milkshake-based nightmares. UKIP leader and bargain Palpatine, Gerard Batten, also lost his seat, along with all the other UKIP seats, hopefully meaning that they'll now fuck off back to where they came from. Oh, and in the southeast, Alexandra Phillips won a seat as both a Brexit party and a Green Party MEP, except they were actually two people with the same name. Either that or Brexit has really divided her more than most. The Conservatives had the worst result in elections since the mid-1800s, and of course, Theresa May, as her parting gift to the party, has said that the results show how important it is to find a deal to quit the EU, which is what she'd have said regardless of result, because she's only got two weeks left, so she may as well get as much out of this script as she can, until it's just her and Philip sheltering in a cabin halfway through a walk she can't finish as she keeps insisting on dancing, screaming, it's not about me, Brexit means Brexit, and strong and stable, strong and stable at him ad infinitum, as he wipes the snot from her face, as that's one of his boy jobs. Ultimately, though, election turnout was only up a little bit from 2014, so largely, once again, this vote mainly showed that very few of the British people can actually give a shit about EU elections, and I'm still certain all of Brexit could be avoided by just telling people that it happened and insisting on referring to French sticks as breadcocks, and no one would ever check to see if you were telling the truth. And lastly, the British steel industry has collapsed, mainly down to terrible selfish choices by those in charge. Yes, it does now seem clear why many originally referred to Theresa May as the steel lady. Greybull Capital, which sounds like a city full of old Conservatives talking, bought the industry in 2016 for a pound and have since run the British institution into the ground, meaning thousands and thousands of jobs are at risk. I mean, it's because it only costs them a quid. As soon as you think, ah, well, I can get another one at the pound stretcher, you know you're going to let it break. And lastly, the government announced a number of plastics will be banned from use by 2020. This includes straws, which means the only ones left in the country will be those the Conservatives are desperately clutching. Yowzers, that was a long intro, huh? I mean, too much to say on this week's show and not enough time for any of it. I was going to do a big bit about the collapse of British Steel, but much like Grable Capital, who bought it for a pound, uh, I haven't been able to invest any time in it whatsoever, so I've had to, very sadly, but perhaps aptly, scrap it. Um, if I'd been savvy, I'd have outsourced that bit, of course, to a podcaster in China, and they have made it for me at a loss, which I guess is a big part of the problem. Anyway, look, I would normally ask how you are. Uh, you'd not reply because it's a podcast. I generally imagine that you're saying out loud how you are anyway, even if you're on a bus or a train 
train or something and everyone just thinks you're weird. But hey, now the seat next to you is free, so that's a win. But this week, I'd better crack on with the noise. Um, so quickly, you know the drill, and as you're already familiar with DIY tools, here's other things you're familiar with. Um, please donate to the Patreon or Kofi accounts at patreon.com forward slash parpolbro or Kofi, ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro as I'm going to be adding something to both of those at the end of this week um, for those of you that do, and more on that in a few minutes. Um, please also give the show a review on iTunes or wherever you do a review, even if that's just on a piece of paper that you then fold and place into a tree where it will hold forever like a secret of time. But even if you do that, slam a five stars on it, eh? Don't be a prick. And, of course, do tell people that you like this show and that they should listen to it too, as the more of you there are, the higher the chance someone might actually listen to his admin bit and buy me a much-needed coffee. You've got to have goals, people, haven't you? You've got to have goals. Or if you're too lazy to play football like me, then you've got to have a coffee so you can even have the energy to vaguely entertain the notion of goals before continuing to sit down. Uh, admin this week um, and it only really applies if you hear this early in the week uh, our kids politics show that I plug every goddamn week uh, it's called How Does This Politics Thing Work Then um, I do it with Tatton Spillett at Simple Politics who was last week's guest it's on at the Underbelly South Bank in the London this Thursday and Friday that's May 30th and 31st at 1pm I won't lie we need some bums on seats so if you have a child of 7 plus and you also can't think of what to do with them in the half term and like it when they and you laugh and learn stuff then please bring them along uh, tickets are at the Underbelly festival website if you just do a google for that that is how the internet works oh, it's magical it's like it's like magic but with numbers um this week's show has katie styles from we care talking about their campaign for better rights pay uh, well any pay actually and generally just some respect for carers and the stupidly hard work that they do I mean, even when I type carers on Word, it tells me it's a spelling error and should say careers. It's like the DWP secretly owned Microsoft. Bastards. Plus, there is a look at the EU election results and what they actually mean. Clue. Still that nothing's changed. It's just taking up all our time. And there is a little tribute to Theresa May as well. I know she hasn't gone yet, but if you look behind her eyes, I think she left a long time ago. But first, why not have a little bit of someone else's voice after a little bit more of my voice? Hmm. Carers do pretty much what it says on the tin. Uh, caring. I mean, it isn't exclusive to them. I mean, I care for lots of things like my family, my new trainers and cake. But for carers, it's a bit more important than me just being sure to savour a Victoria sponge. According to the NHS definition, let me just read this, um, a carer is anyone. Oh, that makes it sound like something Aria might have uh, gone off in training to do for several years. Oh, no, wait, sorry. No, hang on, it carries on. Um, a carer is anyone, including children or adults, who look after a family member, partner or friend because of their illness, frailty, disability, a mental health problem or an addiction and cannot cope without them. That's a pretty broad definition, mainly because a lot of people, approximately 7 million people or 1 in 10 in the UK, are caring for someone. Yet despite that, as the next bit of the NHS definition points out, the care that they give is unpaid. Now, you might think it's a bit rich for them to expect to be paid, as love should be unconditional and cost-free, right? Except looking after someone 24-7, potentially providing their medication, transporting them everywhere, enabling them to live their life, takes up all of yours. And hey, let's not pretend that spending time with family is so much fun that you'd want to do it all the time. I mean, seriously, often Christmas is enough. Ever since David Cameron spouted his big society nonsense and the Conservative government have slashed social care to its bare bones, more and more responsibility has been placed on people with needs to expect care from those around them or not get it at all. But when your main job is looking after someone, you can't get another job around that and then how do you afford to do absolutely anything? The government has been promising a green paper on social care, including carer funding, since 2017, but nothing has appeared as sadly it really appears that caring for anyone is not remotely on their agenda. 
So this week, I spoke to Katie Stiles at WeCare, who are campaigning for all the UK's unpaid carers to be valued. They estimate that by 2037, there'll be 9 million unpaid carers, and that's a lot of people working really hard and not being able to afford to do so. So I asked Katie all about what it means to be a carer, what needs to happen to help those who do it, and if a carer is anyone, can she morph into the people on her list uh, that she wants to care for and cool stuff like that? OK, I didn't I didn't ask that one. Yes, there are too many Game of Thrones references in this week's show. Look, it finished last week, and now I miss it. All right? All right. This week's interview is sort of a part one, uh, as next week I'll be speaking to Dr Francis Ryan all about the slashing of disability rights in the UK. So as a prelude to that, here is Katie talking about the lack of rights for those who care for the people whose rights have been slashed. Here is Katie. So, all right, forgive me for a bit stupid here, maybe, but what is the difference between a carer and a paid care worker? And why are there are there more of the former? I, I, this is something that I'm completely uh, clueless on. Okay, so actually, that is a really great question because a carer is somebody of any age who supports a relative or a partner or a friend who, because of a physical or mental illness or a disability or frailty or the fact that they've got an addiction, can't manage without that support. So that's that's a carer and they are unwaged. So they're often known as unpaid carers. And there are round about 7 million of those in the country. We're not entirely sure because they're, they're not always identified. So 7 million of them, that's one in eight adults. And it's set to rise to uh, 9 million by 2037. So that's, you know, quite large numbers. Now, a care worker is one of those people that's employed to support the same sort of people, so vulnerable, frail, disadvantaged people, um, to provide those short visits that you may have heard about. So they're a short visit of maybe 15 to 30 minutes to get somebody up, to get somebody dressed, to make sure they have a meal, um, put them to bed. And those are generally because somebody has a social care package. And they're paying those person uh, an hourly rate and they might belong to a company to do that. So so you buy that in. So that's that's the difference between a carer and a and a care worker. Right. And, and are there more carers because there aren't enough care workers or have both always existed? What's the reason for so many carers? Yeah. Well, the, the reason for so many carers is there's just so much unmet need. Um, so most, most of us will become a carer in our lifetime. So whether we're looking after a parent or a sibling, or um, it might be that we, we've had a child that's got more complex needs. Um, so all of us will be doing some sort of caring to some extent. And, and it might not be very much at the start. It might be just supporting somebody to get their shopping or uh, getting their uh, prescription. And, and then it sort of mounts up and mounts up. So um you, that's why there is such a, a big difference and the, and there just aren't the care workers that's the other thing to, to to highlight you know people are very poorly paid um and you know coming out of the eu we're losing workers left right and center so that's that has an impact and the fact that you know our society is aging i i think it's really the issue of our time 
to be quite frank, but but it just doesn't get the recognition. Is that, I mean, it's, you say it doesn't get the recognition. Is that because uh, sort of people, you know, you said that some people don't sort of, you, you don't know how many people are carers because people don't maybe recognise that they are. Do you, do you think a lot of people don't understand that it is a, it is a job, really, and, and the amount of sort of time that it takes up and the, the amount of duties that you have to do, that it is essentially a job? Yeah, no, I mean, for, for some of us, it is our full-time job so to speak and I I think you're absolutely right I mean people don't identify themselves because they see themselves as a partner or a sibling you know so there's so there's that issue for a start um the fact that some people don't want to be identified as a carer either because of cultural reasons maybe or you know it's just expected that you will do those uh supportive roles um, there's, there's also sort of a gender bias, isn't there, really? Uh, you know, me, me as, a, as a daughter doing far more for my elderly mother who's just had a stroke than, than my brother will do, you know, and that's, that's something interesting as well that, that's come out of this. Um, but only, only one in ten carers are officially identified at the moment. And so if you're not identified... That leads to, you know, you don't know where to get support. You, you know, there is some support out there. You don't know where to go to get it. You might not be claiming benefits that you're entitled to. You know, there's, there's, there's all sorts of things wrapped up in this. So it's, it, it's a very serious point. And I mean, just sort of, uh, again, for people that are listening that maybe don't have an idea of how much of your your time it is i know on your well you're a carer yourself aren't you i understand and um also i've seen your website that you sort of ask for people to contribute their stories of being carers can you sort of give us maybe an overview of what like i don't know what's entailed in a day or in a week because I, I, th- I think for people that don't have to do it or haven't had to do it yet then maybe it, it's hard to understand yeah yeah absolutely so so I mean, so you're helping somebody with with their personal um, tasks. So, you know, whether that's washing, um, helping them put on clothing because they might not be able to do that anymore. You know, the fine motor skills. So so whether that's doing up uh, people's buttons or, you know, tying the shoelaces or, or, or whatever. It, it's providing them with nutrition. So meals um, and there might be more complex uh, meals that you need to do because there might be that person is... Uh, fed through a tube so you've got you've got to learn how to do all of that there's medication that you've not only got to get but you've got to make sure that the person is taking you're you're basically you know in some instances you're running a hospital ward really you know on top of running your home um you've you will accompany people to appointments so to get them to the hospital appointment that they they need to see an outpatients maybe or they may be going to physiotherapy or something like that anything medical um where they may not be able to understand what what what's being said of them and you'll be helping with that um just getting them physically to a place um there's also part of you know People need to maintain a, a social life, so you might be taking them out during the day as well to, you know, to have a coffee or or meet friends or go to the day centre or whatever it is, because you know it's important to be uh, happy and and a, and a part of society as well. So they might be volunteering themselves, and and you're there to support them to do that. So so it's a wide wide range of things. I think I think we've said on our website, aren't we, that we're we're collecting carers' stories, and um, those stories are, are really powerful to to use for 
um, decision makers to make them understand, you know, what, what I've just described, you know, the day in, day out, a reality of caring. But, but they all have sort of common themes. So it, it's the fact that people have suddenly become carers. You know, one, you know, their lives are going along and then all of a sudden something happens to a loved one or a friend or a relative and, you know, there's a medical crisis or a diagnosis or an accident and, and they've become a carer the next day or that day. Um, the fact that carers are often quite isolated because you're looking after a person and they may not be able to get out of the house to be honest um and so you're you're looking at you know loneliness and isolation and if you're a rural carer you know somewhere where where there isn't great support out there then uh you know that's the problem you might you might have given up you know your job um to care for somebody and you know with that goes your network of colleagues really doesn't it and your friends and and the people that you meet most days um and then there's people having to give up education to to come back home to support people people having to come across you know different come back from other countries to to look after a relative um so there's so there's all of those things. So so we we have the same sort of issues. Fact that there isn't any sort of handbook. Nobody sort of gets, says, right, you're a carer. Here's the handbook. You know, you're having to muddle through it. You know, as as a parent with 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 children with complex needs. Uh, yeah. So it's so it's can be quite shocking actually. And and there are a lot of people that are actually caring for more than one person. Um, you know, these sandwich carers, so you might be caring for, for your children, but then they're caring for your elderly parents. Or, you know, I've met carers that are, are looking after two, two, two different relatives and things, you know, and I, I myself am uh, trying to support my mum, who's just recently had a stroke, and my husband, you know, and so that's trying to leave one to look after the other when they live in different places is it's quite some feat, to be honest. That's really tough. That, that's tough emotionally and physically, uh, you know, uh, on, on, on people and on yourself. You know, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's especially when you sort of talk about it like that. And, and I mean, the, the medical area sounds incredibly complicated. It's sort of thing that would terrify me having to learn all that from scratch. Um, you know, but it's... Has, has, has anyone ever been paid for caring? I mean, you mentioned that some people aren't claiming benefits that they could be. Is there any funding for it? And I mean, if not... This must be leading to poverty and some really tricky situations, people. If they, there's no way you can fit in a job in that sort of time scale if you can't even fit in any time for yourself, you know. No, absolutely. So, so I mean, there, there is. If you're of working age, um, you you can get carers' allowance if you're doing over thirty five hours of care a week. Um, but but that doesn't come to everybody. So, and, and that is, to be quite frank, that's £66.15 a week. That's gone up by, by a couple of quid. So £66. So that, that is your, that, as you said, that is your wage, you know. And, and there are, you can um, be part-time working and claim that, but, but you can't earn any more than £123 a week. And, and people with, you know, flexible working and, and you know gig economy type jobs you never know quite how much you're going to earn in a in a week or not and you have to uh tell the dwp if if you're going to to go over that and and if you go over that you've lost your carrot allowance for that week there's 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 a knife edge you know a cliff edge and that's that's not right at all um if you're if you're 
caring for somebody and then you get to pensionable age so you get to your pension age um you you cannot claim carers allowance and get your pension so you get your pension even though you may be you know you are you know you you don't stop caring on the day that you get your pension do you you know so that's that's really hard and, and a lot of you know older carers can't see why they can't have um a supplement you if you if you earn more than 123 pounds and you can't claim um carers allowance you you can get a, a credit towards your pension but i mean you know that's very little if you're on a universal credit um you can't have um carers allowance you you get uh, a minimized sum for that as a household so you know and in Scotland, this, this is the bit that really gets me at the moment. In Scotland, they've got a carer's supplement. So they've, they've increased carer's allowance up to, well, it's effectively to job seekers' allowance. So that's what, £73.10, I think it is, um, a week. But that doesn't happen if you're in any other part of the UK. So that, that just, you know, the, the inequality of that, you know, why is the care that I'm giving somebody 24 hours a day, seven days a week worth less than somebody in Scotland? You know, it's only where I live that determines how much I get. I mean, that is shocking. I mean, yeah. it's also, I mean, you know, and again, I, I'm fully sort of sensitive to people that are without work and mm. are unemployed and are looking for it, especially in today's situation. But to be earning less than somebody who is on unemployed, but it doesn't feel right when you are doing a full time job. That seems like an odd way round. And uh, at £66.15 uh, a week, is that's much, much less than the minimum wage, isn't it? Oh, yeah. You know, you're not earning £10 a day, are you? And and I think that that's something about, you know, why I set up We Care? Because I, I wanted carers to be valued. And, and when you're not valued enough to earn £10 a day, well, it's not earning, is it? It's a sort of replacement. But, you know, when you don't even get £10 a day, that that's sort of like quite galling you know, especially I mean I used to teach so I, I used to earn 150 pounds a day so you you know it's a big difference isn't it for somebody absolutely yeah. and and also you know we're continually told that the amount of care that we're providing to support the NHS is worth and this is a colossal figure is 132 billion pounds a year that's so you know, and the whole of the NHS budget is £124 billion a year. So it's more than the whole of the NHS budget. Right, you know, roughly, if, if you're doing 35 hours, you know, um, it's it's about, you know, £17,000, £18,000 a carer. That's that's what, you know, they, they've worked out we're, we're sort of worth. But, you know, if you're, you're earning 66 quid for what you're doing it it is pretty pretty galling <laughs> that's really galling and and also i i guess the with all the cuts that have come to um disability care and disability benefits like does then money have to come out of your carer's allowance you know for the people that you're caring for well, you, you, the, what's what's happening, you know, uh, is that local authorities are cutting back, obviously, on on the carer support services that they're providing people. So it may be that you know you have a 
dementia daycare centre. And, um, you know, that's being cut. And that's your only bit of respite. So, so you, you, you know, to get away, you would have to pay, you know, maybe 40 quid out of that to get an hour or two off, you know, to employ somebody else to come in um, to look after whoever it is that you're looking for. So, yeah, I mean, that, there's this whole, that's, this fact that we, you know, if you're if you're a carer and you know you've got uh, a small amount of savings, you're still having to pay for your prescriptions if you're working out. You're still having to pay for glasses and your dental work and and you know pay for car parking charges in the hospital if you haven't got the person you're caring with. You know, because we obviously have appointments too. And <laughs> um, so there's so there's that whole valuing of what we do. You know, which I think is a is a bigger it's a bigger thing. It's not just about the money, really. It's it's about you know you've got to look at the whole thing and think, well, what would make a carer's life easier? Well, maybe if we helped with this or we helped with that or, you know, so. Yeah, if, if people cared about carers, that's what we, it's, it's it's horrific that people whose whose job is to care aren't remotely cared for by uh, by authorities. It's really depressing. Anyway, if you're a Patreon or Kofi member, uh, you can have this whole track by the end of the week. I'm not sure why you'd want it, but it's going to be there for you to download by Friday. Yeah, you probably really don't want it. But hey, look, you're welcome, even if you don't want to be. Hit it! So I am today announcing that I will resign as leader of the Conservative and Unionist Party. Theresa May, a woman who's constantly haunted by all those Dalmatians she had killed. Theresa May, Queen Grimhilda with her magic mirror, the child catcher from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, with the charm factor of a hyena wearing an ironic T-Rex T-shirt despite not knowing who they are. 
Theresa May, ghost of Christmas future, only human being in the world with the sort of eyes you only see on people who are about to turn into zombies. She's a hollow vessel body for the next Sith Lord, a barely conscious Sith, a woman who if she took a personality test it wouldn't register that she was there in the first place. Theresa May, Paul Nottle with hair, Witchfinder General, T-1000 May, Machine and Mensch, Early Rejected Blueprint for a Human, Park Boom Mike, Park Ghost Train, A Reject Ghost in the Shell that's even more disappointing than the recent film one, One Part Authoritarian to Three Parts That Feeling When You Wake Up Ten Minutes Before Your Alarm Goes Off, Theresa May, Product of a Dystopian Jelly Mold, Only Living Person to Have Rigor Mortis, Only Human to Exhibit Gecko-Like Skills for Clinging On Despite Death, Only Person Whose Madden Two Swords Waxwork Has More Warmth and personality than them. <coughs> Spreading prosperity to <laughs> Teresa, I consider being unable to punch my way through a wet paper bag a sign of strength may. Only person to be afflicted with a living dead career. Only person to get an error 404 code when she does a personality test. Winner of Best Dressed Icicle 2017. Try hard with a vengeance. Woman whose computer password is strong and stable but with letters missing. Teresa, every day is UK snow day in my heart, May. Only person in the world whose face stays the same when she's a lemon. Old Austrian myth used to scare children. Anguished mushroom. Inspiration for the Laurie Anderson song Superman, not because she's super, but because she goes on forever without doing anything much. Only person who enjoys going to the dentist. Perpetually smelling something awful on her own shoe. Somehow haunted ghost. Theresa May, Borg Queen, Vampire constantly reacting to sunlight, skin suit wrapped around bonfire remains, bone collector, everyone's favourite taxidermied bird of prey, only person for whom the recoil reflex is her default setting, catalogue model for Dino Rod, large gingerbread cottage owner, the missing link between stalagmite and a penguin, harrowed curtains with a face, what if the Joker was much less interesting and made worse speeches, only person constructed with chicken wire, constant walking advert for Shark Week, Theresa Say my name three times into a mirror and I will appear May. Flexible fridge magnet. Carbonite frozen hieroglyphic model. What if someone pushed a cormorant through cobwebs? Theresa May. Template for Aunt Lydia. The only person whose photo negative is full of bright colours. Inspiration for at least seven of the Disney villains. Mother of Vinegar. A public service warning as to why you shouldn't eat those packs of silica gel. Yes, that is what happens. Theresa May, spindle with legs. What would happen if you swapped the fly and the fly with a praying mantis? The only person whose reflection has more depth than she does. Broken human theremin. Theresa May, Frankenstein, doctor or monster, correct. Edward Gorey, drawing. Statue to remember those who won't fall despite all of the hints. Lifelong citizen of the uncanny valley. Half woman, half superglue accident. Theresa May, depressed toilet brush. Thickerous. Malfunctioning silly string. Ghost of Christmas yet to come. Only person to try cryogenics while still alive. Misery scented candle. Frostbitten bollard. Face painted onto a cheese grater. Human crab. Cutlery stuck together with old Coles law. Misshapen crab. Momo challenge. Windshield that would only ever hide behind whoever needed to use it. Theresa May. Love child of the Pixar lamp and nurse ratchet. Hard boiled shoe. Scorched hedgerow. Resting petrified face. Rotting cauliflower. She's a composite drawing of a sheep moving very fast. A chasm and the notion of emotional numbness. Theresa May, walking beginner's guide to being a sociopath, amalgamation of before images on a Voltarol advert, flesh-covered box-loading machine, novelty winter hat on top of a scowl. Theresa May, Theresa May, 
Goodbye, goodbye, Theresa May. Yeah, I really do have too much time on my hands. So now, let's look at this. The UK's EU elections have happened, much like the EU elections in all the other EU countries, as that is how EU elections worked. Overall, the voting across the 28 member states increased by 7.2% to the highest in 20 years, meaning over half of all Europe types did a vote. And what did they say with their vote? Well, one voter in Leicester apparently wrote wank in every single candidate's box, apart from the Green Party, where they wrote not wank, so it was seen as an acceptable vote. Which sounds great, unless they were commenting on how the only party they didn't find arousing were the Greens, which... No way, I still think that's a win for the Greens. Generally, though, all around Europe, the Greens were found not wank. The EU's Green Group has grown from 52 seats to 70 seats, and the Alliance of Liberals and Democrats has gone from 69 to 101. So centrists and planet-saving is up. Europe wants a fair-trade latte, but only if you heat it with renewable methods. The far-right rise in Europe, though, is seemingly on the wane, as while France's national rally, led by a woman who definitely looks like she'd eat your children as part of a very long seven-course lunch, Marine Le Pen, while they came first in France, they actually got less of the vote share than they did in 2014. In Italy, Lega didn't get as much of the vote share as predicted. In Germany, Austria and the Netherlands, the far-right parties didn't do well at all, and it's only in Hungary and Poland that they still appear to be a dominant force. You know, those places that were obviously never affected by fascism in history, so it's understandable why they might flirt with it. Sorry, what's that? Oh, really? Uh, Oh. Oh. But overall, the Eurosceptic hard-right group in the EU Parliament has only increased its vote share from 21 to 23%, which for a group that in various ways keep talking about shaking up politics, it's really more of a slight tremble, like you might get if you sit on a bench and the person next to you farts. Yes, it's unpleasant, but not overtly worrying. But the big losers? Well, the European People's Party, who are the centre-right group and the centre-left socialists and democrats. Yes, there are also democrats in the Alliance for Liberals and Democrats, but I'm not sure how they divvy them up between themselves. Ultimately, like seasonal trends, green is very now, pure white is less popular than it used to be, left and right centre accessories are out, but something just for the middle is so-so mode. OK? OK. So that's the big picture, but what about our own little picture, our tiny Polaroid, our mini JPEG right here in the UK? Well, it's kind of the same, uh, which does nothing to prove to those pro-Brexit folk that we're nothing like them Europe types with their funny thin chips and kissing with tongues. The Brexit party did win overall in the UK with 31.6% of the vote and 29 MEPs elected, even though none of them will actually do the jobs. I mean, it's a very weird thing to willingly support someone getting paid to do their job badly or not even turn up. It's like ringing in to back a Britain's Got Talent performer just so they don't bother going to the final, but instead spend the entire time inside a travelodge tweeting how they're going to take the whole show down and succeed all by themselves because it turns out the world does need someone whose dog can take a shit to the theme from the professionals played on the kazoo. Actually, I have to say, all that does sound pretty amazing. It's probably quite a bad analogy. But those wins seem massive for a brand new party only created but weeks ago, until you see that UKIP lost 24.9% of the vote. Assuming that's now all gone to the Brexit party, they've only gained 67 by themselves, which likely has come from the collapse of the Tories or of Labour, or both. So, a big rise in the far right? Not so much. It's more that wherever Farage goes, his acolytes follow. Brexit party is merely his new snakeskin after shedding his last one that Gerard Batten tried to wear like a hideous, hideous cape. 
According to various stats, the anti-Brexit parties came out on top with the Lib Dems, Greens and, look, I'll add them just to make them feel included, but really it's pointless, Change UK, gaining 40.4% compared to the pro-Brexit parties of UKIP and the Brexit party on 349 But that excludes the Conservatives, who are definitely pro-Brexit. I mean, come on, they are. It's just they're crap at doing anything about it. And Labour, who are pro-Brexit Monday, Wednesday and Friday, anti-Brexit Tuesday and Thursday. And then on a Sunday, it kind of depends on how many programmes Barry Gardner is on and on which side he decides to be on most. But if you add the Conservatives and Labour to the pro-Brexit vote, then you get 58.1% of it. And that's all about the Brexit. Or if you want to add Labour to the anti-Brexit vote, then that's 54.5% against the pro-Brexit of 44%. Plus the Remain vote part these are all divided in what they actually want, with Greens wanting to revoke Article 50, Lib Dems and Change UK wanting a second referendum. Meanwhile, the Brexit party doesn't actually have any ideas apart from No Deal, which we think they want, but no one's really sure as they still don't have a manifesto. And UKIP just like making threats at people on the internet, so it's not like they're all comparable, unless you want them to be, because hey, something's got to fill that news time, right? Right? Either way, overall turnout for the UK-EU elections was 36.9% of the voting public, which really isn't much compared to the EU referendum, which was 72.2%. So if you think the will of the people can be exactly determined by just over half of half of the two-thirds of people that voted last time, then we may as well do political decisions based entirely on putting some post-it notes with policies on in a bag and popping a hedgehog in there and seeing which ones it comes out with stuck to it first. What is clear is that no one at all likes the Conservatives anymore. No one, not even their parents. I mean, they had their worst results since 1832, a.k.a. when quite a few of today's parties still get their policies from, so in a way, it seems appropriate. All the Conservative votes in this election have either gone to the Lib Dems, Greens or Brexit Party, and whether or not they'll claw any back will entirely depend on their next leader, who'll decide which ones are more important. Spoiler, it'll be the Brexit ones. Meanwhile, Labour votes seem to have gone to Lib Dems in some areas, Greens in some, and Brexit Party in others. So what they need to do now is either continue annoying everyone by not pandering to either Leavers or Remainers, or choose just one of Remain or Leave and stick with that, or maybe elect two leaders, one Leaver, one Remainer, and maybe they can live together with hilarious consequences in front of a studio audience and some incidental music. Though best bet might actually be for Labour to back a second referendum that offers Remaining and a No Deal, and then that way, whatever happens, everyone would definitely... Definitely accept that as the result, right? <laughs> no, of course not. If anything, everyone will be so sick of elections by then that only four people will turn up and they'll just write wank in every single box. And now, back to Katie. I, I know that the government did a carer's action plan that they unveiled last year um, and sort of looking at your website, which I have looked at the WeK website, it doesn't sound like it's really very any good. Um, I mean, has, has, the, has the government made any decent steps towards increasing support for carers? Is there anything on the horizon that looks hopeful? Well, they, the, the, the action plan, so, so if I take you back a bit, if that's all right, mm-hmm, um, the, the action plan came about, about as as a sort of interim measure i mean we were we were asked as carers in 2016 to contribute our voices to our carer strategy and uh, you know we all got excited about this because we thought you know that that's brilliant you know where our voices will get heard and you know all of the things that i've described you know would 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 go in that and, and what difficulties we faced and and it got pushed back and it got, got pushed back and, and we changed ministers you know, two or three times. And eventually this CARES Action Plan came about. And and we were told in that time also that, you know, our voices would get heard in the social care green paper. And I don't know whether you've been following the route of the social care green paper, 
Um, but that well, it doesn't exist yet. Is that right? It, Is that... That's right. You know, it's been pushed back twenty times. It, it's along with the care strategy, which has totally been kicked into the long grass. The, the, you know, the the social care green paper has been kicked into the long grass because it, it is, you know, it is a difficult issue. And, um, you know, I've heard rumours that it, you know, it might be, you know, uh, in the autumn now. But, you know, with all of the the uh, debacle going in Westminster at the moment, you know, I really don't ever think, see, think we'll see the light of day on this. Um, so in the action plan, there are 64 actions which were brought together from across cross ministries and um, I mean there, there were a few good things I mean they're looking at employers and what employers can do to support their staff that are caring um, there's a investment fund of 500,000 uh, pounds to help identify and support carers but you know that's not gonna that's not even gonna be a pound for every carer is it you know so I I want to know how they're going to prioritize which carers they decide to to look after that there are some pilots going on in in different areas of the country but unless you live in a pilot area um you know you're not seeing any different and and what's what's happening as well is that you know with the lack of a national lead on this individual areas are um, developing their own carer strategies which, which is a good thing but then you've got a postcode lottery again of what support is available for carers up and down the country and whilst you know I hear there's some fantastic work going on in Greater Manchester you know if you don't live there then and, and as I say you live in rural Dorset you know there's there's a vast chasm of of, of what support is available um so yeah i i have yet to find anything in the 64 actions that would support a carer like me you know a full-time carer and i think that's the that's the crux of it really if if i could if i could point to one thing that has changed in the year you know so, and I, I would hold my hands up and say great that's super but i can't i have yet to find it you know Wow, out of sixty, I mean, incredible to have sixty-four actions and none of them <laughs> be be particularly useful. That's quite, uh, you know, potentially. Obviously, as you said, some of them may be a postcode lottery, but that's very bleak. So, so from the case of of, of We Care, um, which uh, and how long have, how long have you been running We Care for now? So I've been running uh, We Care for just over a year. Um, I started with a petition um last january calling for you know government to publish a care strategy that was when there wasn't even a, the chance of the action plan um and and while i did that lots of different care support organizations so the individual support organizations that are set up to support carers got in touch and were supportive and got their own carers to meet their own MPs because they could see that, you know, why, why have an action plan if you haven't got something to pin it onto? Um, and, and individual carers wanted to get involved. And, and it, I quickly realised that actually there was a huge appetite for, for carers to actually help themselves and to campaign. And so 
that's why We Care was formed. So yeah, <laughs> and and it's pretty it's pretty much just you, isn't it? As sort of we were saying before you started recording that you're you're a lone campaigner. Yeah, no, well I've I've got I've got like a small team now, and you know for tonight for like the first time we're having a um, a conference call with carers from across the country, you know, using technology so that we can uh, all get together. So sort of like a Skype call. Um, so that's you know that is really lovely, um, and I, and I have got you know people involved that are carers themselves that are, are helping you know with with digital things and and um, making um, infographics and and what we think we should be looking at next and yeah so so whilst I'm sort of you know driving it on that there's you know I've got a small team of little people now and that's really lovely <laughs> you know. That's fantastic. And you just sort of mentioned that obviously what's next. What is what is WeCare's kind of current campaign or what's your action plan uh, for what needs to happen next? What are your main priorities? Well, obviously, we're still pushing for this strategy. So that, you know, that's the main thing, because because that is really important that, you know, as many carers are identified and supported as possible. Um, what I'd like to do is is to is that we need to be compensated fairly, you know. So we we have, you know, less financial help than those seeking work. So, you know, carer's allowance has got to go up to job seeker's allowance at least. So, so that's one of our, our calls to action. Um, we need government to help us to come forward to identify ourselves. So whether that's incentivising local authorities to, to find more carers, put a duty of care on the NHS, an actual law to, to identify carers that walk through their door with people that they're caring for, you know, that would that would be a big thing. Um, and, and actually, I'd like, I'd like a celebration day for carers. I, I think if we had a day where, you know, we could highlight all these amazing stories that carers have. You know, we have Father's Day and Mother's Day, don't we? And, you know... Bagel day and donut. You know, we've got all sorts of different days, haven't we? You know, but we don't have one for carers. I mean, we have carers week, but that's that doesn't. It's not quite the same. I, I think we need we need a day where we can. Yeah, really, there needs to be a national carers day. Yeah, that absolutely, absolutely should happen. We should have it, shouldn't we? You know, what yeah. a way for value carers with their own day. You know, so. That'd be brilliant. I, I don't know how you go about having a national day. Is, is that a government thing or can we all just start saying it's one day and then it'll just happen, it'll trend? Well, I, think, <laughs> I, think, I think that's the way to do it, isn't it? Just trend and get it all sorted out ourselves because I think that's the only way anything's going to get done at the minute, isn't it? By taking it over yourself and just pushing it through. So. Unfortunately, so unfortunately, so I, I well, it's it's funny. I was gonna I was gonna ask you next, really, how how listeners can support We Care, but obviously the first step is that they all designate a National Carers Day and then tweet about it, and someone edit Wikipedia with it when no one's checking. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> but is there if people want to support uh, the campaign, how 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 best to do that? And also, if people are listening are carers and maybe don't have support, where's where can they seek it? Well, we've got a website. Uh, for a We Care campaign, so that's that's the perfect place. So, and there's lots of little micro actions, so you can join us and then get our campaign emails, share your story. You can do that anonymously. You don't have to share your name. Um, we just capture your information, and then you know when we when we do eventually meet some decision makers, that'll be that'll be so useful. Um, the 
individual carers that may be listening they will they will all have their own local or unitary authority and and if they're not identified as a carer that if they're not supported if they haven't had a carer's assessment which is their legal right to actually have one of those which looks at them not the person that they're caring for and says what it is that they're doing how they're doing it what impact that has on their health and well-being um, and whether they want to continue in their caring role even they, they can email they can pull up their local authority information and send an email and then there'll be a care support organisation in each of those areas. So, so that's the first thing that I would urge them to do. And also, if they go to their own GP, it's just to mention that they are a carer because GPs don't flag that very often. And they, you might assume that they know, but they, they often don't. Um, there's also Carers Trust and Carers UK, which have a wealth of information for carers. So if you're not, you can join them, um, and that's free. and you know they've they're much bigger organizations that have a lot of extra information and forums and things like that so that's that's great carers trust actually have have got a program at the moment they're running um campaigning workshops for carers which is just brilliant um yeah so they're upskilling carers yeah you know, so they've also identified a need and they're upskilling carers to, to help themselves to campaign, to learn the fundamentals of campaigning, um, you know, in a day so that they can take their own issues and, and get help and, and learn how to, you know, run a campaign. So whether you might meet other carers that are campaigning in your area about the same issue or you might, you know, identify an issue that, that you want sorted out um, yourself. And, and the more carers that, that are campaigning on the things that they believe uh, you know their own issues you know the better I, th I think that's amazing because we all have you know amazing skills and I think we do undervalue ourselves and you sort of lose a bit of your identity when you've not got a job and you don't know who you are anymore and you know if you just say you're a carer sometimes people's eyes glaze over and, and you start to think mm. um, so anything that empowers carers to you know, campaign and, and do stuff is, is, is brilliant. So, so there's that. Yeah, that's amazing. I, it's, it's such an incredibly selfless uh, job to be a carer. And I think, yeah, it, it obviously must be hard then to sort of think about, think about yourself and <laughs> to be selfish at times, just, you know, everybody needs their own headspace and their own life as well, which is a very hard thing to do, I guess. Um, I, I just wanted to ask one thing, which I ask all, all the guests, and thanks so much for talking to me today, Katie, um, was just uh, just kind of as an exercise of trying to get more information to people, really. Um, apart from We Care, and obviously you've now mentioned Carers Trust and a couple of other places, um, is there anyone else or anywhere else that listeners should check out if they're interested, um, both in information about care work, but also campaigns on it? Have you got any writers or uh, tweeters or who, who, do, who do you go to for info? I, I, well, I, I look up, there's um, the Care and Support Alliance who are, are tweeting and they're, they're an alliance of 80 charities that are working together um, to, to, to highlight, you know, the social care issues of, of older and uh, working age people and disabled. So they're, they're really good. Um, there's a, a, gentleman that I've come across recently whose name's Chris Jeffrey who is uh he's got his own organization a bit like mine you know and it's called uh Mending the Gap 
and he's been pushing for carers leave so that's where you know carers don't have to use up all of their annual leave to support somebody if they're in paid employment you know if they're working part-time you know if you're trying to get somebody to an appointment and you have to take all of your holiday you know wouldn't it be great to have you know between five and ten days where you know it's enshrined in law that every employer gives you those days off just because that can mean the difference of somebody having to quit their job or not you know there's six i think it's 600 people are quitting their jobs a day at the moment to care for somebody you know and that, that has many, huge, yeah and that's you know there's a lot of economic issues around that isn't it you know because you're no longer paying tax you're no longer you know so that's it, it's in you've lost all those skills as an employer so you need to really start supporting carers um so there's that um yeah i, th- I think that's I, the, the other people to look at are sort of like age uk they've got because I, i've not really touched on you know the fact there are a lot of older carers that are you know in their 80s and 90s that have their own health issues and they're not being supported hardly at all you know because they don't identify themselves as carers they're either you know a partner or whatever um and they've got a campaign at the moment called um why call it care if nobody cares and that's quite (laughs) that's quite telling isn't it so yeah 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 so i i tend to sort of look at all of those different people daily and um just keep an eye on you know hashtag carers that's quite useful because little things pop up, yeah. Because because everybody's caring for somebody with a different disability or different illness, or in, and it's a different issue, isn't there? So so there'll be the the individual charities that you go to first, probably, and then you know uh, under the umbrella of carers that you find all the different little bits and pieces. So yeah, just the one thing I'd add there is that you know disabled people are having to fight really hard for all of their rights. And it's often the carer that's having to fight for not only their own rights, but the person that they're caring for's rights as well on their benefit or whatever it is. And it it falls on the carer sometimes, you know, to actually get the best possible care or the, you know, the best outcome from the benefit system for that person. So, you know, there's a lot of overlap there. Thank God, yes. So you're campaigning for your own rights and for the rights of the people you care for. That's... Oh, you must be knackered. I don't know how you do it. I really don't know how you do it. Um. Yeah, that's that is. I I think to be fair, because of and also there's there's something about the political context at the moment, isn't there? That you, you know, if you have got such a very small voice and that voice is just not heard, and you're having to battle daily with all of these cuts and austerity and and benefits and the fact that the hospital can't do what it wants because there's less staff or whatever it is that I I don't think I've ever known a time when carers you know have been so on their knees and it's not like we can go on strike and and do anything about it so all we've really got is our voice and making sure that it's heard as often as possible Thanks so much to Katie. Uh, you can find We Care at wecarecampaign.tilda.ws or at We Are Carers on Twitter. And Katie's also on Twitter at Willow Katie. That's Willow K A T Y. I will, of course, pop all of those links into the podcast blurb too.
Uh, next week, as I mentioned earlier, is a sort of second part to this one, as I'll be speaking to the brilliant Dr Frances Ryan about her new book, Crippled, looking at the myriad of ways the Conservative governments have made the lives of disabled people hell. Um, I've got a few more guests booked in too for future weeks, but as always, I need your suggestions, as it very much helps in hunting people down to chat to. So if you have an idea of someone you think I should interview, or an area you'd like me to interview someone about, please drop me a line at Parpolbro on Twitter, the Partly Political Broadcast group on Facebook, the contact page on partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk, or even Email me at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. Or why not write your message in a milkshake and lob it at me, which I'll A, deal with, as it'll just sort of blend in with all the other food that my daughter has thrown at me during the day, and B, is pointless, as any message you sort of write, whatever you write in syrup or chocolate powder, I'm guessing, would have just sort of been sort of mixed in with the rest of the milkshake into a kind of unreadable glob. I mean, God, it's almost like you don't know how milkshakes work. Idiot. Let's give me a milkshake with a note written on it and I can drink it because I'll be honest, all this milkshaking has really done has really made me just want milkshakes all the time. Hey, maybe it's a conspiracy by Big Pharma. What I mean is, as always, uh, it would just be much easier to email me. Hmm. And that's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast podcast. Thank you for checking into this noise hotel for about an hour. I mean, that's a very short stay. What did you check in for? Hope it wasn't filth. Quick reminder, uh, as people always tweet on Twitter, as though we've all instantly forgotten either this very important thing that you couldn't possibly forget, like, quick reminder, you'd die if you tried to eat a rake or something, or it's always something that you didn't know in the first place and didn't really care about, so it doesn't matter. You know, quick reminder, plastic tips on the ends of shoelaces are called aglets. No one needed to be reminded of that. Absolutely no one. Um, but this, this quick reminder is important as it's to please, please, pleasey, please, 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 McPeaserson and the children of please review this show with a big fat or thin or whatever shape five stars as this show's all about star positivity and do that on iTunes or Podbean or just mow it into a field at night and let people think aliens did it. If you can, please donate to the Kofi or Patreon accounts, both of which I'll be adding the Theresa May mix to later this week that absolutely none of you want. And just generally tell other people that this show exists and to listen to it. And eventually, if enough people do listen to this, then you'll all have something to discuss around the water cooler. Or while stuck in traffic, you can just sort of wind down your windows and reach out to your fellow human with your favourite Theresa May description, or maybe while on passing escalators. Look, I just want to bring people together with the phrase constant walking advert for Shark Week. Is that too much to ask for? Thanks loads and loads to Acast for podcoddling, my brother the last sceptic for musical noise things, and to Cat Day for typing up the linear liner notes for partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk every single goddamn week. This will be back next week when even more Conservative leadership candidates are announced, including Skeletor, a walk-in freezer, a saltwater crocodile, a death eater, and someone eating a burger with a knife and fork. Bye! This week's show is brought to you by Invisible, a new scent by Esther McVeigh. Sure, you might think it's an empty bottle, but Esther has been assured by someone on the internet that actually it's the most sought-after smell in the world created by technology we definitely have, so you can't see or smell it. Invisible by Esther McVeigh. Making sure there are no borders to stop your odour passing through. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.